0: Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
1: America Can We Talk, I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. A federal judge in Washington, D.C. yesterday, actually not in Washington, Southern District of New York, federal court judge ruled that the Trump administration effort to put a question on the census of whether or not the person is a citizen could that question could not be included on the census what the judge actually ruled was that the process used to get to get to that decision was not constitutional this is a huge uh problem and i want to explain why and why it really does matter the census should have a question asking if people are citizens or not to be clear this judge an obama appointed judge named Judge Jesse Furman of the Southern District of New York ruled that the reason there could not be this question on the census this time was because Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary who ordered the change in the census didn't follow the right process uh, to get that decision made. It was a process ruling, not a substance ruling. But here's why it matters a lot if we ask whether or not people are citizens as we do the census for 2020. Number one, The number of people counted as living in a state, it's a huge difference whether you're counting citizens or citizens, plus a bunch of illegal immigrants who have no legal right to be here. And the reason it matters is number one, it affects funding. Federal funding goes to states based on the number of people those states have living in their their state the more people registered on the um, census as living in that state, the more federal money that state gets. So this keeping the, the people who are illegal aliens on the census gives sanctuary cities and sanctuary states more money from the federal government. Second, and even more important is the number of people living in a state determines the number of members of Congress that state gets to send to Washington because each member of Congress is supposed to represent roughly the same number of people. As population shifts then and populations grow, that state gets more representatives in Washington. So you're enabling illegal aliens to get representation of their interests in Washington. But even worse, and probably the worst thing of all is this the number of people who serve in the electoral college, which is actually the constitutional entity that elects the president, the number of people in the electoral college is directly related to the number of people in Congress. In fact, in the last election cycle, California, as a great example, has about five more members of Congress than they should if we were not counting illegal aliens in the census. Five more members of Congress gives you five more electoral votes. Even Politico, left leaning Politico, pointed out that ele- the illegal alien population in America could possibly have caused Hillary Clinton to win because Electoral College, based on num- numbers of members of Congress representing each state, based on the number of citizens in those states. This, the final point in this citizenship question, and I don't know, by the way. Whether the Trump administration is going to decide to just appeal this directly to the Supreme Court, whether to go back and to follow the process, because what the judge was fussing about in this case has to do with the idea of the um, whether it, a, what method was used to get to the decision to change the census question. One method being the uh, use of uh, administrative records versus direct inquiries. It's just a method or process used to get to the result. And that's what this judge was uh, saying wasn't followed correctly. So, you know, Wilbur Ross, Commerce, they can go back and fix the process or the other choice they have is to pursue this all the way to the Supreme Court. But the bottom line is we need to get to a place in this country where only citizens who, people who are citizens in states are counted in the census so that we know that, that only citizens are represented in Congress. So that's my first five for today. Hope you'll stay tuned to America Can We Talk. When we come back from this break, I'm gonna turn to what might happen to the furloughed workers in this country in the shutdown. Come right back. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Love, love, love talking to you every week on this show, every day on the show, America Can We Talk. If you haven't watched the show before, this is our new time, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, every day. I always do a first five. Today, I just want to talk about that decision at the Southern District of New York, essentially throwing out the Trump administration's effort to put a citizenship question on the census. It is time to stop counting illegal aliens in the census. And this is very much a political agenda issue. It's way more than just a precise or kind of a, uh, you know, pickyune question about the census. It's about whether or not we agree in a con- in our country that citizenship matters. It matters if you're a citizen, it carries privileges like voting and also privileges about b- as to re- being represented in the census, being represented in government. It carries many connotations, millions and millions and millions of federal dollars are spent on states and cities based on the census. And so there's gonna to have to be eventually a ruling that the census only counts citizens because there's so much consequence flowing from that. But we're in the middle of the shutdown. I think we're day 25 now. And the most amazing thing happened, and I wanna be sure if you haven't seen this article, in fact, we're done today, I'll post this in the comments on Facebook uh, related to the show today. Uh, but there was a an op-ed printed or an article printed in the Daily Caller, it's an online uh, news source, Daily Caller, that the article was called, I'm a Senior Trump Official and I hope a long shutdown smokes out the resistance. It's an amazing article, I I really urge you to read it. The basic point the guy is saying is, he is a current, this is anonymous, doesn't wanna identify himself and get in trouble with whoever, but he says, I work for the Trump administration I am working without pay these days, but he's describing what happens in the Trump administration where he works in terms of the number of people who are are actually actively working for the federal government and undermining President Trump all the time. For one thing, he points out that there are this lapse in appropriations because of the shutdown. You know, they have a lot of people staying home. He says, even when everybody's there, only about 15% of the people there are actual, actually in, his, in the administration, exceptional patriots. He said 80% of people working for the federal government feel no pressure to produce, produce results. They know they can never be fired. Many of them, well over half of them, spend their time at, in Washington, in their job, working for the Trump administration, opposed to President Trump, working against Trump's agenda he says, this author, and I assume it's a he, maybe it's a she, I don't know. Most of my career colleagues actively work against the president's agenda. This means I typically spend about 15% of my time on the president's agenda and 85% of my time trying to stop sabotage against the president. It's an amazing piece in the Daily Caller. I, I cannot urge you strongly enough to read it. Also pointing out, that federal employees pretty much can never be fired you just can't get rid of them but a little light at the end of the tunnel a little bit of excitement here is this it turns out that in federal employee employment you can move to a reduction in force a RIF, which is a layoff uh, in some circumstances and currently the standards are in federal regulations that a person who has been furloughed meaning asked to stay home because they don't have a job to do right now, they have no job to perform in Washington. Those people who are furloughed, if you're furloughed for 30 days or 22 working days, that triggers the right of the federal government to move to lay you off, to use the RIF, the reduction in force, which otherwise can never happen. You can't use it to punish people. You can't use RIF to punish particular employees, but it's actually supposed to be used to remove people who you really don't need to have in the workforce anymore. And brilliant article out today making the point, well, we're now in day 25 of the shutdown. I don't know where we are in terms of the actual uh, count of working days out, but the point is we're getting close. Trump might have these federal agencies and the Democrats really uh, cornered because right now where we stand, if these people are non-essential, which that's who doesn't come to work during a shutdown, the non-essential employees, and if those folks are non-essential and they are staying home, and we get past the time, maybe these federal agencies, many of them can start to look at what's happening. The other guy, this Daily Caller, the other point this Daily Caller writer makes is, you know, current before the shutdown, when you had everybody in Washington, all these people coming to work every day, you really had a bottom up mentality. People on the bottom of the rung who aren't really producing very much, they have a lot of guarantees under their procedures and policies and processes. They gum up the work, you can not you, can't, you can hardly punish them, you can hardly discipline them, you certainly can't get rid of them. He's saying because they're working on a lean budget now, the whole thing, the feeling is reversed in Washington. The agencies are actually in charge. The top of the line agencies, the, the head of the agencies are in charge. They're actually focusing on the people producing valuable work. I'm sorry, I'm struggling here to get my earpiece to stay in. Um, the uh, people at, in Washington are, the top level are working efficiently with the people who's are, who are actually needed. And a lot of people staying home. In fact, I had this thought the other day, driving home from wherever I was, you know, all these people being furloughed because they're non-essential and they've been home now three weeks and it might go into four weeks, five weeks, who knows how long it'll go. Maybe some of them would think, you know, Maybe I should look for a different line of work. Maybe I should join the productive private sector. Maybe I should not be, because all these people assume eventually the shutdown will end, eventually they'll get all the back pay coming, and it'd be great if they started to worry that they wouldn't, because part of what we needed in this country for decades is a massive reduction in the size of the federal government. Maybe this shutdown is gonna give us just the right impetus for the agencies to say, you know what? Now that we look at it, we could actually lose a lot of these folks and nothing important would change. As this author made last point, I'll say in his uh, piece, he says, You know what? Most of America is not feeling the shutdown. Most of America is not struggling with their shutdown. Most of America is not having a, you know, nothing really has changed in their day to day lives um, because of the shutdown. So, very interesting piece, really interesting point, and I, I loved it. So, Tony, the next story I wanted to hit very quickly before we get our caller. We do have a caller tonight, a, a, a wonderful, uh, today, a wonderful guest joining us, Dr. Sterling Burnett. He's been on the show before. He's an expert on environmental policy. And I want him to tell you what is in Alexandria Ocasio's Green New Deal be ready to take notes. Unbelievable. Before we get to him, though, I want to hit at least one other story, which is, you know, the uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers, you know, the football team uh, You know, in our house, we kind of live and breathe football. The Clemson Tigers, of course, as you all know, likely won the national championship. They uh, surprise victory. I think it was 35-31, beat Alabama. What's well, a kind of cool thing because many presidents of the United States will invite the winning teams to, their, uh, to the White House for a celebration. And that, of course, happened with them too. They've been invited to the White House, the Clemson Tigers, and they went and they had their party. So the game, I think, was last Tuesday. They had a party at the White House yesterday. And the coolest thing was because of the shutdown, President Trump purchased the food for this team, I have some, I don't know if we have these graphics already, but there was a graphic of what was happening in the White House, okay. This is the White House. What President Trump did of all, to me, hilarious things. Uh, Number one, Trump paid for the food for the Clemson Tigers and their coach to come to the White House to celebrate their national championship. The food, he had pizza and he had McDonald's food. And so he's got all these French fries and pizza and McDonald's hamburgers and cheeseburgers. I mean, it was just a, it was an all-American celebration. I even wanted to celebrate the fact that the Clemson Tigers chose to go to the White House. You likely know last year when, the, or several years in a row, when the NBA champs, the, um, I forget that team's name, who cares, uh, the NBA champs, the, Steph Curry was one of them um, on the Golden State Warriors who had basically agreed before the game? He, Steph Curry, along with uh, LeBron James of the of the Cleveland um, Cavaliers, said, "No matter who won, they were going to snub President Trump. They're going to refuse to go to the White House." So all those players on the on the um, Golden State Warriors other teams have done it too. They lost out on their once in a lifetime chance to go to the White House to meet the president to have dinner at the white house to enjoy being at the white house and they didn't get to do it they didn't get to do it because they decided this temper tantrum mode of i'm not speaking to the president i'm not going to go along with him it got them to the place where they didn't go they missed out on this once in a lifetime chance we had actually several other pictures i don't know if you have them matt over there i sent him a bunch early this morning but okay this i love this picture this kid has got you know I guess that's like five kind of big McDonald's cheeseburgers, whatever they are. All I'm saying is he's having a great time. They had a great time. And I love the spirit of the Clemson Tigers for showing up at the White House. And so one other thing about that Clemson team, I tweeted it out the night they won. And I'm not a big, you know, football sports fan like some people are, but sports sometimes are kind of like a measure of the American spirit. They're a measure of the, they have a lot about sports. It's about America. Well, the Clemson football coach named Dabo Swinney, that's his name. The Clemson football coach is just a very cool guy. And before the game, before the big game, the national championship game, you know, they have all the interviews. And in his interview, he was talking about what he does in the locker room with his players. These are college football players. And he gets the team all together before every game. They say the Lord's Prayer together, and then he tells them three things. It's not who you play, it's how you play. Number two, compete with joy. And number three, I love you. This is a football coach with all these big, burly, surly, muscle-bound, football players and this is the most touching all-american feel he manages to convey on the clemson tigers uh just by being who he is just by being the um you know just by being a coach who's being himself and actually the quarterback for their team is a profoundly open christian in fact said in an interview after the game his faith was more important to him than football I wonder if we could do a survey on how many college players or actually NFL players would say that. So the idea Clemson went with the Yahoo, we are going to get to go to the White House and Trump. The, I mean, the spirit there, the the upbeat, the smiles, the, the, everyone trying to get a selfie and get pictures and see the president. Very cool thing. I really want to celebrate the Clemson team for, for doing that. My last quick story before we get our guests online again, we're going to have in just a few minutes an expert in environmental policy, Dr. Sterling Burnett. My last story I wanted to hit, though, today has to do with a recent um, ad, a recent uh, television series of ads by Gillette. You know, Gillette, the company that makes razors and shaving cream, I guess. Anyway, Gillette has latched on to this toxic masculinity stupidity mode and they're running commercials like their theme is essentially even though i guess gillette's theme used to be something like best a man can be or something they're making they're actually openly talking about urging their customers to oppose toxic masculinity and i would like to talk for just a moment i'm gonna probably do more shows or you know little stories about this but this toxic masculinity ridiculousness real masculinity is vital real masculinity has nothing to do with sexual assault nothing to do with rape nothing to do with the Harvey Weinstein kind of conduct nothing to do with being belligerent and bullying toward women or anyone real masculinity is needed in America Real masculinity, like being a strong man, being a protector, being a provider, being the ones who are willing to go off and fight our wars. When we're, we have you know battles around the world, we need actual warriors. That's what real masculinity, real manhood is. This Me Too movement, Me Too mess of a movement has tried to make the idea of normal masculinity, men being the ones who are the ones who are, you know, pursuing the woman and asking her out and being a gentleman and being a, being a man. We need men in our country. We need men to act like men, to think like men. And so, you know, Gillette, I'm telling you, if you want, if you're into the mode of boycotting companies because they do stupid things like, I boycotted Target because I don't like that they let men use the women's changing rooms. I'm not up for that. I think that they made a mistake. I think they're, actually I know their stock went way down because they made that stupid mistake. This is the kind of boycott I could see because this idea, I'm not really advocating to necessarily to go after Gillette and decide you're gonna not buy Gillette products anymore. Uh, but there is really a need to reject this, this, this absurd idea that real masculinity is toxic is evil is a bad thing so i'm going to ask producer matt to give a call to our guest we have dr sterling burnett joining us i've already been on the phone with him today uh burnett one time and emailing texting back and forth so um we would love to have him on skype but we didn't get our skype um thing going his um i guess the microphone was wasn't working in his skype camera or something Anyways, we're going to have him on phone but he is going to be joining us i think we have him Hi, Sterling, do we have you online? Okay, I need to ask producer Matt to turn the volume up here on my thing. Um, And so I'm so glad you could join us. And as I was telling our listeners before you came on, Dr. Sterling Burnett is with the Heartland Institute. I saw your mission today. I looked at your website today, by the way, mission to discover, develop, and promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. Love that. So Dr. Burnett, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the show. We've actually you've been on my show before, America. Can we talk? And I want, yeah, I want to talk today about Alexandria Ocasio's Green New Deal. She has a this is the the talk of Washington, the talk of the environmental movement. And I know you've actually reviewed the Green New Deal. Uh, it's uh, proposed by her to you know solve global climate change and got a bunch of other extremely highfalutin goals. First of all, I wanna back up, there's so much in this. To start with, Elizabeth, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was saying that this would essentially, the the Green New Deal that she's proposing is kind of takeover um, of the energy sector by the federal government. That's really what it is. A little bit similar to the Obamacare was a takeover by the federal government of the healthcare industry. This is the federal government taking over the energy industry, but she says that she, it's a realistic goal to eliminate the use of fossil fuels to turn to entirely renewable energy sources, in, and the numbers vary. Sometimes I think she said 10, sometimes 20 years. How realistic is that?
0: Retrofit every individual home and business in the United States in order to improve energy efficiency and, quote, comfort and safety of people's homes. Well, I'll tell you what, Anytime I hear a Democrat talk about safety of my homes, I want to hide my guns because <laughs> they don't believe you can safely have guns in your homes. So I mean, it promises the move, and it promises to do so in a way that uh, that you know upholds the rights and liberties of uh, gay, uh, transgender, of of different races, of different sexes. I mean, it is social engineering on a large scale. It's not just economic policy, and it's certainly not limited to energy policy, but just the energy portion of it.
1: Okay, and this is truly astonishing. We're talking with Dr. Sterling Burnett about what is in the Green New Deal, Alexandria Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. And I want to back up and just make sure of what you're saying, what I'm hearing in this green new deal that was allegedly designed to end our reliance on fossil fuels and make us 100% reliant or, or you know 100% functioning on renewable resources you're saying in that green new deal there's a guarantee of universal jobs at a living wage
0: yes it is yes there is that's a provision of it
1: <laughs> i mean this is why i just you know the why i have often said i so dislike these mammoth bills because it's pitched to the country as, oh, this is just about energy, we're gonna fix the energy problem. And it's really, it's very serious and very uh, overarching. What does it say about individual homes that gonna retrofit? It is, it is every. It is every
0: economic and social engineering program that progressive Democrats, that, that uh, self-proclaimed socialist Democrats and independents have longed for for a century. Thrown into one big bill, if you could dream it as a progressive, it's in this bill, and uh, it 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 means the decline of the U.S. if it were to be implemented.
1: It is. I'm I'm so so glad you're uh, sharing this, and I'm going to uh, for our listeners after we are done today. I will post in the comments to this uh, the portion of the podcast listeners on Facebook Live. I will post some of the links uh, to the articles that Dr. Sterling, probably uh, the one he wrote, first of all. Oh, by the way, you had a great term for it. You were calling it, I uh, can't find your article, energy socialism. That was a, that was a great yeah. term, but really it's so much broader than energy. I mean, it's, it's a- so It is. T- yeah, tell me what they want to do to individual every individual home in America.
0: No, every home, the government would come into your home and help you or provide money for you to retrofit all your windows. To, to do whatever it would take to make it energy efficient. Buy new appliances. Now, of course, if you like your old appliances, you're not going to be happy because they're not really offering you the choice. They're going to pay for it, but they're going to make you get it. It's, it's If you like your washing machine, it's doing a good job, but it's not the most energy efficient brand, too bad. And I got news. I recently got a new washing machine, and it's not as good as my old one. It's broken down three times in less than a year. Uh, because the water flow of water flow issues. Um, if you like what the government did to toilets thirty year twenty years ago, when they said you can only have a toilet that gives this kind of this yeah. has this much water flow because we are concerned about energy water efficiency, and you should be too. We know best. You know, if you like flushing multiple times and getting the plunger out and cleaning it out regularly, that's good. I mean, let's face it, toilets are better now than they were twenty years ago when they made this mandate. But how many years do we have to go through that? How much water and resources were wasted? Um, the, the same is true here. They will come into your homes and say, "We're going to do an energy audit. Gosh, this isn't very efficient. Let's get this, let's get this up to speed. And by the way, we're going to ensure that it improves the comfort and safety of your homes." I don't even know what it means, safety, when it comes to energy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not concerned about my gas lines leaking, quite frankly, or my so safety must mean something else. <laughs> wow okay you know- i don't even i don't even know what what it could mean, but all I know is when I hear Democrats talk about safety in the home. I think (laughs) guns
1: well you and many many americans you know another thing that is a creepy thought that we would even have a bill that in a hidden term that no one's paying attention to is really saying the government's telling you you're going to agree to have us come into your home uh, because the federal law says we can and don't worry it's just to help you but okay i want to go back to though just this idea of how realistic is it even if you, you had the funding, which we'll talk about in a moment, but how realistic is it that renewable energy sources could possibly meet America's energy needs?
0: It's not realistic at all. It's, it's, in philosophy, we talk about the term logically possible. So there is some possible world where within the space of 10 years, we can get rid of every fossil fuel and all the jobs that go along with it and replace them with renewable energy. But in the real world, what that would take is shutting down all the power plants, all the all the coal fired, all the natural gas, all the uh, oil power plants, getting rid of the internal combustion engine, um, and putting wind turbines and solar panels all across the nation. In fact, just to replace, just to replace the energy we use now, not the energy that we will use ten years from now, because energy use is always going up as technology requires more and more energy. Uh, it would take one third of the United States being covered with wind turbines. Now, let's talk about what that means. I'm not talking about – and here I'm not talking about just the land space. If you, if you love the sight of wind turbines crossing everywhere, going across farmland, going across everywhere, if you want solar panels everywhere, I guess it looks good to you. I like wildlands. I like to go hiking in places that aren't disturbed by man. But if you like that, okay. But let's talk about what it would take to manufacture that. It would take a uh, a transformation of the society – that is larger than what it took during World War II during the wartime efforts. You know, most of your listeners are not going to know what it was like during World War II, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little history. They shut down automatic bail manufacturing for over six years. Everything had to go to the war effort. We were building tanks and guns, typewriters, pipe, pipe plumbing. All sorts of goods and services were stopped because we were putting it towards the war effort. Well, it would take that and more here because building the hundreds of thousands if not millions of turbines and solar panels everything all industry would have to turn towards this goal it wouldn't we wouldn't get new computers because it has to be building solar panels and, and and wind turbines no more new cars solar panels and wind turbines for 10 years everything it's a wartime effort you know it, and, and she calls it similar to the wartime effort so uh what would it take resource wise well here's Here's a real tricky problem for her. We don't have enough labor to do that. Uh, so I guess it fits in with their open borders policy, because <laughs> we're going to have to bring a lot of people in to build all these wind turbines and solar panels. Of course, there will be a lot of unemployed miners and, and, uh, and oil and gas workers. So maybe if they have the skills, they can get in there and do that, too. But it's still not enough labor. And as far as the resources, every new, you know, every green technology requires something called Rare earths or critical minerals. Now, we don't produce any rare earths or critical minerals here in the United States. We're 100% dependent on China and Russia for many of our rare earths and critical minerals, for all our rare earths and many of our critical minerals. So, we put China in the catbird seat. If we want to accomplish this, we have to cut deals with China and Russia. Please give us your minerals because she's in her plan, she's not going to allow new mining. We're not going to mine here in the U.S. So she actually makes us more dependent on the whims of dictators in China and Russia. That's crazy.
1: I, Dr. Burnett, I am simply floored. I've I've given up trying to take notes on everything you're saying and I'm pretty good at taking notes, but the first of all, the breadth of this Green New Deal legislation that is being pitched by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And frankly, not just her. You, I saw Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren's office has signed on. She's got a bunch of the radical left environmentalist movement uh, joining in. But this is a... No, no, it's, it's more than 30 members of the House. I think it's
0: up to 40 members in the House supported, And I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe every, so, every declared Democratic candidate for president so far... Has embraced the Green New Deal. Warren, Kamala Harris, uh, Bernie Sanders, um, uh, Cory Booker—you
1: uh, know, <laughs> the whole uh, lot of them. All the these whole... guys—they're—they're they're embracing this. I got to tell you, I'm going to wager a guess here that most of those people who've signed on, uh, maybe some of them know everything is in there. They think this is some happy new environmental deal, and and they have no idea what's really in it. Because if they do. If they actually recognize the bill that you've now described for us, the Green New Deal, that it encompasses invading every home in America forcefully, retrofitting everything. It encompasses elimination of the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs in the energy industry. It encompasses taking over most American land soil on America just for sufficient room to create the wind turbines and the solar energy um, receptors, whatever those things are called. It encompasses reliance on China to bring in, to import from them what we need to order to do that kind of, I mean, it cannot be these people have a remote idea what is really in the bill, or if they do, even worse, if they do, and they're okay with it. But this gets me around, I know that this is not a political interview, but I'll just tell you, this is what happens when you have a poorly educated pie in the sky ignorant young socialist making it to Congress and she is the center of attention. The media can barely keep the cameras off when she's around, they can't wait to have her on. And this, I mean, I will tell you, I'll I'll let you go back to what we were talking about, but I will say, this is a great opportunity for conservatives, for people who love America, for patriots, for people who just want rational policy to point out how radical and extreme America's left has become. At, and, and I hate to do it, but I'm going to disagree with you. I you think may. they know
0: exactly what is in the bill. Okay. They're socialist, and this is a socialist takeover of the economy. <laughs> they may say – and she says this. She says this. Oh, we're not going to be like Venezuela or Cuba or North Korea. We'll be like the socialism of The northern uh, of Scandinavian countries. Well, I'm sorry. Scandinavian countries are right and left privatizing their industries and removing government controls to pay for their social welfare policies. They're not dictating uh, uh, energy policy any longer. They're getting out of the way. So what it means for government control is precisely what happens in Venezuela. But they don't care because they're socialists. They think the government, they especially, because they're leaders of the government know best you're too stupid the average person is too stupid to know how they ought to live and they we're gonna tell what them. products they should be buying what food is good for them and government has to make sure they get the right stuff
1: okay let me tell you this so, I, first of all I, I don't yeah Alex there are there is a heavy swath of the top leaders of the Democrat party in this country I could not agree radical socialists they want nothing more than complete government control over American society uh, I don't know how many of them do the candidates if they're clueless and going to find out I don't know but the American left is no longer in the American as I say often in of my speeches No longer in the American playing field. They're not talking about a free country They're not targeting a free country in the legislation they pursue But let me switch to one last question before I run out of time So there are people who would say might say well I don't like all this takeover stuff and it's sounding kind of radical but you know How extreme is our environmental situation in America? Are we facing such a drastic situation in America from man made climate change, uh, man made uh, disasters, that, that the idea of the CO2 in our atmosphere, or impending disaster, so serious, so severe, so irrefutable, so certain, gonna happen immediately unless we do this. You would hear people, or you think people hear that, and they say, okay, well, I don't like what you're describing, but we have no choice. We have to do this. So, you know, what I wanna get at is how severe is this climate change crisis that is propelling her? And lefties to go along with this kind of takeover of our country.
0: Well, that's. I'm sorry, but before we get to that, let me let me point out. Let me give them one idea of the of the scope of it. So we haven't we we started building this nation's debt. We haven't been debt free since the 1830s, and so in the preceding 100 and, and approximately 90 years since then, uh, we have built up 21 trillion dollars in debt 21 trillion dollars in debt that's not including our obligations for future Medicare and Social Security recipients her plan alone this is this is what people are estimating based on the different portions of her plan would cost 51 trillion dollars
1: okay wait wait. 51 trillion is what her plan would cost and right now at the most we're, we're at about 21 trillion in debt
0: hundred and ninety, yeah, hundred and ninety years built up, twenty-one trillion in debt. In ten years, she'd add another fifty-one trillion because she doesn't pay for this in her plan. She's going to raise taxes on uh, those making ten million dollars or more to seventy percent. But other than that, she doesn't talk about other tax increases. What she talks about is the government creating new banks, government banks, to fund this, basically printing money taking on new debt because it's important we need just like during wartime you take on debt and she says that's what we're gonna do so 51 trillion in new debt on top of the 21 we've already built but this happens not in 190 years but in 10 years I think that's important
1: oh it's um, vital is vital I mean the idea that we're going to just launch off on what I'm thinking we're gonna launch into next about where we really are in this climate crisis uh, alleged climate crisis but the I the utter unfeasibility what she's proposing and then you see her i didn't i decided not to play the clip because it almost felt like i was making fun of someone who's not very bright but she's even being interviewed by left-leaning uh hosts and they're saying how are you going to pay for this and she just throws her arms up and says well you know i'm going to pay for this just how do we pay for the military you know we tax people how i mean it is a cavalier level of stupidity that is that is, I mean, it makes me, it leaves me speechless. Okay, but I do want to ask you. So, but she would say, yeah. and her lefties would say, the crisis is here. The climate change crisis is real. The, the Earth, we're we're all going to burn up or something terrible unless something major is done right now. So, I, I have some charts. I think I sent them to you in email. But we, have, she, go ahead. If she, if if we
0: accomplish what she wanted to accomplish,
1: if if we actually accomplish
0: what she wanted to accomplish, leaving us out all the costs the question is would it prevent climate disaster well first off i think the science shows we're not facing a climate disaster right now that that all the predictions by climate models almost every one of them has proven incorrect they overstate the amount of warming that we have experienced they overstate you know they, they make false claims about hurricanes hurricanes have not gotten worse or more powerful sea level rise is not rising at a faster rate now than it has throughout history i mean all the claims they make, that they're false and demonstrably false, and the Hartland Institute and others have produced volumes of peer-reviewed scientific work that shows this. But let's say we're wrong. I'm wrong. Sterling Burnett doesn't know what he's talking about. Climate change is happening. It's dangerous. It's going to kill us all. Okay, so how much warming, how much temperature rise does Ocasio-Cortez's plan prevent? Less than a tenth of a degree 100 years from now. It would prevent less than three sheets of paper laid, <laughs> laid flat of sea level rise. So if this is what's necessary to save us from disaster, disaster still coming because it does nothing, because the growth in greenhouse gas emissions is not coming from the U.S., which has been cutting emissions for over a decade, despite the growth in fossil fuel use. It's coming from China, India, and fast-growing developing countries. And those are proceeding apace. As their economies get stronger, ours will decline. And where will all businesses go that are shuttered here in the U.S.? Overseas. China's not stopping using coal. India's increasing the use of coal. They're funding coal power plants all around the world, in, in Africa, in Asia. They're building hundreds of them. So uh, <laughs> we can shut down our economy. We can go back to the 1830s. In our economy, if that's what we want to do, but it won't save the planet.
1: Okay, so to re- we're about to uh, end of this, my map producer is making gestures like I have to stop talking. I'm not done talking, but pretty soon we gotta wrap up. Um so what you were saying, I want to go to that one point. Even if America decided to embrace this plan and we could sum up with the money and the space and the and the manpower and everything that we don't have, her plan, if implemented, would only impact a hundred years from now impact reduce the uh, rate of climate change uh, temperature increase by what was it?
0: A tenth less than a tenth of a, of a degree.
1: Less than one tenth of one degree in a hundred years, and not even the uh, height of three pieces of paper, three pieces of paper stacked of the of oceans rising. So it's a pointless effort. And the other thing that I, I we can't get into today, but you know, the idea that we are through private sector, through our just American ingenuity and goodness and private sector work, we're doing a great job in America reducing our CO2 emissions. Uh, arguable whether we really need to be charting doing that, but we are. Yeah, and so we end up where we are going to have a truly, and I'm glad you put it in those big terms, uh, Dr. Berta, I'm really glad you did. It is a socialist takeover of this country using environmental policy. I, I love talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Appreciate you having me on and look forward to being on again, I hope.
1: Oh, absolutely. And tell, quickly to tell our listeners, what is your uh, website? Is it the heartlandinstitute.org? It yeah,
0: it's heartland.org. And you can check out uh, my weekly climate publication, Uh, Climate Change Weekly there or our monthly newspapers, uh, uh, Environment and Climate News. We'd love to have you all sign up and receive them.
1: Thank you so much. I'll tell you folks, Dr. Burnett's organization, the Heartland Institute, great source of information on climate change and other things. But um, particularly on climate change, they really broke down what the most recent report said that came out and got all the climate alarmists, you know, screaming, look at what's happening now. We got to do this and do that. And they pointed out all the flaws in the data, all the misrepresentations, flat out misstatements, you know, failure to use scientific method to arrive at the conclusions they made. It's a really great website because to close out today's show, I'll make this point. What we're talking about in environmental policy in America is whether or not we agree through environmentalism to a socialist takeover of our country or we stand up for the freedom that America was founded on, which is the whole reason I do my show, to speak up for the extraordinary country America is, to stand up for freedom. So Matt, the producer, is making me stop talking. Thank you to Matt, the producer, for helping me today. That's it for today. Every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, uh, come here. You can go to americacommetalk.org and see links there. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Our Facebook page is a very active exchange of ideas. Love to have you email me, talk at gmail.com. And for tomorrow's show, I'm going to do a very deep dive into the scandal of the century the corruption of the Department of Justice and the Spygate scandal. Talk to you tomorrow. Voice voice, like can you hear us now?
0: America, can we talk? about America. Can you-